0: Welcome to QUT Exec Insights, brought to you by QUTX, professional and executive education for the real world. In this episode, we're continuing continuing with our series where we share with our listeners the wonderful richness of the QUT community of researchers and teachers, those who are making an impact on the real world. I call this thread Cool QUT. With me is distinguished Professor Kerry Mengerson. Kerry's research expertise is statistical methodology and its applications, and this includes, of course, making sense of big data. Uh, Kerry is Deputy Director and Chief Investigator in the Centre of Excellence in Maths and Statistical Frontiers. And she has around her a group of about 30 postgraduate and postdoctoral researchers in this increasingly in-demand area of expertise. So welcome, Carrie. Thank you. So a lot of listeners uh, will be saying um, there are this thing about big data. So I think we'll jump straight into that kind of area. So the pre- the presentation that I saw you do when I was preparing for this interview was entitled Now that we have it, what are we going to do with it? How maths and stats can save us from drowning in big data? So first of all, um, when we say big data, what are we actually talking about?
1: Interesting question. The area of uh, the words big data mean different things to different people. And typically we're talking about data that are unusual for us to deal with. So now we have a range of a whole wide Variety and volume and uh, different types of data that we can um, have access to. So whereas before we might have been constrained to collecting observational data, now we have sensors, we have mobile phones, we have social media, we have all kinds of different access and sources of data. So now the question is, you know, what do we do with all that kind of different data? And so different uh, groups will be able to deal with different types of data so for example satellite data has been around for uh, many years and the groups that work with satellite data know how to deal with it but for most of us if we got an image from a satellite we wouldn't know how to extract information from that similarly um, there's brain scans how do we deal with brain scans and not just one but many multiple brain scans over multiple people How do we deal with data from social media? And so one of my colleagues, Claire Alston Knox, came up with the term big data is inconveniently large data. I like that definition. I saw that and I thought, well, that's pretty pretty easy. Inconveniently, it kind of escapes
0: our normal uh, abilities to... So it's the data that we
1: don't really know what to do with in terms of size or volume or type or the quality of the data and so on. So we need to take all of these things into account when we're trying to really extract the value from the data that we have available to us nowadays.
0: Mm. And in business, um, I mean, we know that some people, some businesses are absolutely competing on their ability to grapple with big data. So we know that what they call the fangs so Facebook, Amazon, Google, um, so forth, uh, they um, are really out-competing on their basis of ha- actually having sensors in people's hands. So they've got a really good bead on consumers and their preferences. And um, over time, that, that competition will absolutely, um, you know, grow in importance. So what, what's your observations, uh, in, uh, certainly in the business field, about people's capability to, um, to make sense of big data?
1: So the big data is not just for the Google and Amazon uh, companies, but it's also for smaller companies. So, for example, getting to understand customers, getting to understand trends, getting to understand um, products, and so on. Um, but it's uh, and so companies at all levels, and businesses and governments that um, can all benefit from uh, using data uh, in different and innovative ways. And uh, the sorts of things that I see, the trends that I see. Uh, where people were sort of asking the question of what what kind of data can I access, to now being asked, asking the question of what do I do with the data that I can I access? Yeah. Because it is much more open now. There's a big push for open data, uh, for quality data, for for uh, uh, repeatable data. So data that you can, or, or analyses that you can uh, replicate. And uh, so that brings us to the question of trust in the data. Mm -hmm. So people are now asking, how trustworthy are my data? And they're also asking the question of, uh, there's big questions around storage and management of those data. And those kinds of technologies, using cloud computing and uh, and other sources of of storage and management, uh, are really now taking off and are becoming much more mainstream. And so the questions now are not around, how do I how do I get data or how even how I store it, but more about how I analyze it. And so the real trends now are in analytics. And analytics. Yeah. Advanced analytics is really now where the, the business value is in mm-hmm. data.
0: So I mean, that's really interesting that you said the potential for big data is not just for the, for the you know, the Facebooks and Amazons, but small dis- business, so even small retail could um, yes. leverage off the power of the, the data that they have probably even more freely available to them. So what capabilities uh, will they require to really extract the value from from, uh, the data they have available to them? Do they need to access your postgraduate students? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a a very good
1: start. Mm. Uh, But I think there's uh, the capabilities now are around, uh, there are capabilities around around data analytics. Uh, So there's some capabilities around manipulating data. uh, understanding the the value of the data that people have and being able to sort of trade on those data, um, understanding then about um, doing doing basic kinds of analyses with the data, but also understanding that um, you know not everybody can do everything and so it's to, it's really entering into partnerships with groups that can analyze data or can help to train people in organizations because sometimes what we see are people are setting up a data science team for example which might be the one or two people and then and then they're in isolation so part of that is creating the networks of the analysts so that those analysts can then learn from each other it's such a fast moving area and what we want to be able to do is to bring the value uh, to the collective group of analysts and so part of what we're doing is not just training our high-end analysts but also then providing More general training about analytics and also about smart thinking, too, so that even if you're not the person doing the analysis, you might at least um, have a good understanding of the kinds of questions you could ask of the data and what you might reasonably ask of the results. So not you don't just need to accept results on face value, but you know you have a good sense of how do I critically review the kinds of results that I'm seeing from the analyses. Mm. So those kinds of um, high-level review uh, or critical review uh, methods um, and skills and then also, of course, for the the technical people, the analysts themselves, about having access to uh, support and training for skill development.
0: Yeah, so the right kinds of questions and the, and the way to approach data. So all that richness of statistical thinking. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. And,
1: and it's a, it's a, it really opens up a new way of thinking about mm. things. So we don't have to be uh, thinking about uh, our demographics or about our products or about the services or uh, these kinds of things in, in the same ways that we did before. So for example, um, the Bureau of Statistics now uh, and official statistics around the world are being really proactive in understanding how they might use different sources of data to uh, compile the sorts of statistics that they would generally publish. So for example, statistics on poverty or statistics on crops, uh, agriculture. Farmers suck at filling out surveys, <laughs> and, so, and so how do we uh, how do we get at that information? Well, we could use remote sensing, so satellite data coming back to that. Uh, so uh, then, then they need the training in how to use those data, but then also how trustworthy are those data for official statistics? And uh, and then um, how do managers then actually uh, convert that to you know to use? Uh, for yeah. for official statistics and so it's not just companies but it's also Governments that governments, make use yeah. of this
0: and I was really intrigued by the example that I saw in your presentation about the question how do we understand congestion at airports? You know? Yes, that's <laughs> so, right, that's so really right. practical. And the, the, that's, um, yeah, that opens up all kinds of questions. It's not, you would think about, well, certain times a day, you know, there's more flights, but it invites a more systems um, view, I suppose, of that kinds of questions, if you have a, a more comprehensive set of data that you can exploit. Yeah, um, and you can mm.
1: imagine at the airport, there's all sorts of data that are available mm. from um, image recognition of um, people walking through the airport, to the sensors for people in queues, to um, all the bags that are checked through, to flights arriving and the demographics of people arriving, so lots of information that can be compiled and then used to improve efficiency at the airport and that's, that's the job of um, big data and it's the job of the analysts like us. So uh, how, how
0: evolved, in your observation, our business, and I'll go in Australia here, uh, in terms of their ability to, to extract value? Are we at the, uh, at the well-evolved uh, part of the spectrum or are we lagging with other countries, do you think?
1: Uh, certainly, uh, there are some other countries that have set up like, national centres for data science, for example. Um, Australia doesn't have anything like that at the moment, but they do have uh, fairly advanced groups working in this area. So there's the university groups and CSIRO Data61, there's also, um, there's also some companies that are really quite advanced in this field and world leading, um, but generally, uh, you know, it's across the spectrum. So while there are leading organisations, then there are also companies that are just sort of starting out on the journey. And I think it really is this uh, creating these networks across different organisations so that there can be discussions um, at different levels. So. While some people are still asking the question, "What's the value in doing this?" because there is a setup cost mm-hmm. uh, in uh, um, obtaining those data and uh, and you know developing the analytic tools for it, uh, right through to the uh, okay, now we're well on the way in doing this, and how do we start to think more creatively about what we can do? Mm-hmm. So, Australia is like most other countries in that way uh, in having that range. Of, um, of I had
0: heard um, big data um, described like uh, teenage sex, you know, everyone says they're doing it. Yeah, that's right, exactly. <laughs> then, well, no one actually, no one, <laughs> yes, we, we, we're all still a bit nervous about the whole thing. And that's right, exactly. I, and also you mentioned before about open um, data and opening our data sets. So we have a public sector management program, you know, here at uh, NQTX. So. And I talk about this with our students and they said, oh, you know, we're trying to get data sets that we have um, up and freely available to the community because we don't know what they might want to do with it. They might um, make creative use, you know, of all the data that that governments collect. But then sometimes a month later they'll say, oh, you know, no, we've actually pulled that data set back and we're not making it available. What's your sense of our um, appetite for making the data that we have in government open and freely available for whomever wants to do creative things with it?
1: It's a it, it's a bit of a push pull system mm-hmm. I think in that uh, when the data are available then people will well sorry so so a demand creates a a, a supply mm-hmm. and also demand creates quality data so often you know people will collect data but there could be quality issues that, uh, related to it and uh, and then those quality issues really get uh, resolved um, or data become better quality when people realise that there is a demand for it or it's being used of course. We do better when we realise that our work is being appreciated uh, and being used. Um, there's also then the question of uh, that data aren't collected for free and uh, there's, a, there's a cost to collecting data and so um, I think there's a lot more realisation about the value of data and, uh, and that plays out in different ways. So Organisations or governments might say, well, this data, these data are actually valuable and there should be some some payment associated Mm -hmm. with it or some reward associated with um, providing it. Um, But then realising that a lot of the value of the data comes when it's actually the the analysis or the the benefit Mm -hmm. is realised. And so there is this sort of push pull about um, about making data like freely available when it's being collected. There's also privacy and confidentiality issues, yeah. of course, and the the, uh, the sort of scale at which the data might be made available. Um, so those kinds of things come into play as well. But um, but. Yeah, you know, To my mind, uh, when data are open um, then there can be so much more benefit that can be gained from the collective.
0: Yes, that's right and and who knows what a, a creative scientists will do with different data sets you know, absolutely to, to see the, um, the absolutely. intersection um, and make um, questions among those. So you're doing some uh, research uh, for uh, very close to home here at the QUT Gardens Point campus which is uh, with the new Queens Wharf development, so some that's of the questions right. that you are asking with the benefit of data that you can collect is the impact of that Queens Wharf development. For those of us who are listening across the world, um, and you are out there, thank you for that. Um, Very close to the, uh, QT Gardens Point is an inner city campus uh, in the CBD, and on our doorstep will be a multi-billion dollar uh, casino development um, with retail and some open space. And there are a lot of questions to ask about what the impact will be of such a large scale Development, which of course is um, one of many large-scale developments happening in Brisbane at the moment. So, what, what kind of questions do you think you'll be able to answer, um, and how, and which, and what kinds of data sets will you pull on to
1: do that? This project uh, was commissioned by the state government, and now has the uh, backing also in the involvement of Star, uh, which is involved in building the, the project. The uh, so it was really. Um, I think of both these organisations to have the vision to develop this long term monitoring program. So, when in another development like this in Brisbane is Southbank, and which was developed 30 years ago, and so that was uh, for Expo. And so, at the time when Southbank was developed, there was really no concept of having a long term monitoring of the impact of Southbank, but it's had an enormous impact on, on our city. And so now with this new development, which is going to be of comparable size, then, the, uh, then there is now the, the uh, motivation to put in place a long-term 30-year uh, monitoring program to identify the, uh, the benefits and impacts of such a, a development, an urban development. And so we were asked to set up a plan for that long-term monitoring program and so, over the course of a couple of months, really sat down and asked, well, what are the kinds of economic and social um, uh, skills, or not skills? Sorry, let me say that again. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, what are the the uh, the types of economic and social indicators and measures, and what kind of data might we have on those? Uh, so, we came up with a, a wheel, and uh, on that wheel were twenty-two. Uh, economic and social indicators and then identified the data sources for those so those data sources were from government and also from private industry so part of it was for example from uh, Telstra about mobile phones and uh, people movement so connectivity around the city how would such a development improve connectivity how what kind of social media is coming uh, is being used um, and, uh, and what signals can we have from that social media about the development? What do we learn about tourist numbers and uh, attraction to the area? Uh, what's happening in terms of jobs, in terms of buildings and that kind of stuff? So a whole range of different um, impacts. There's impacts of uh, employment but also impacts of gambling. Mm-hmm. And so a uh, very uh, strong emphasis on looking at the benefits and impacts of gambling um, and uh, and looking at uh, having an advisory board uh, that would uh, oversee that uh, the surveys that are un- being undertaken for that, and also the collection of data from Queensland, but also from Victoria and New South mm-hmm. Wales as well and learning from developments in those states to be able to inform this development as so well. So it's the
0: full range of social and economic, um, technological. That's right. You know, exactly. Political probably. Yeah. 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 Mentions, yeah. With the richness of all that, uh, all that census data and, and data that we can exactly. observe. Exactly. So the full range. Yeah. That'll, that'll be an amazing thing, uh, to have a longitudinal study, uh,
1: yes. to inform. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think it will be very interesting to be able to, in the future, look back and say, mm. you know, how has it changed our city? Mm.
0: So with your students, Kerry, and you have a, a range of people in the centre um, that you mentor and, and oversee their research. So what? how do you see their discipline changing and evolving over that time? So when we gradually move away from academia, and I was saying to Kerry before, she and I are, are months um, in, the, we're, we're at the same age to only a few months. So, uh, But when after we move out of uh, academia and they're still at their at their peak, um, how will that whole area of maths and stats and um, AI and, and machine learning change and evolve in the next five to 10 years? I, I imagine it's going to, you know, I just see this great flowering and fruition of demand for their skills and that their discipline changing with the amount of um, data available to them. Have I got that about right?
1: Yes, yeah, so as we were saying, the, the area that's really in demand is the advanced analytics. And that's across the range of math, stats and machine learning techniques and bringing together those different disciplines and um, really that's what we're trying to do in our group to create the interdisciplinary uh, teams that might be able to solve more complex problems. So bringing together economists and social scientists and uh, statisticians and machine learners and computer scientists to really ask questions of the, uh, the, the problem, mm-hmm. and uh, to really try to drive new solutions and new insights. Mm-hmm. We have really uh, also then the ability to bring in, and part of the part of the remit of our group, is to have uh, um, secondments from government and business to come in and learn techniques, and to mm-hmm. be able to develop, for example, policies around big data and uh, the rollout of data analytics, in government so Mm -hmm. coming in being able to be exposed to the different uh, new ideas and ways of thinking and new techniques and then taking those back into industry and government and that kind of uh, porous boundary between universities and governments I think and and organizations will be really important in the future there's such a fast moving area there's so much to do. And uh, there's uh, a lot that we can learn from each other. So that's going to be really important So in that the no future. one will
0: let you retire, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have, have to stay with us for the, a while.
1: The other, I think, really interesting thing is that there's so much online now that can be done. So I have students who really come in and say, I don't need you to teach me anymore. And this is from our undergrads as well. Uh, so and, and postgrads. So they'll say, I don't need you to teach me. I just need you to point me in the right direction, direction. because there's mm. so much... Out there on the web, and I know that I I need to learn Mm -hmm. skills. I don't know what it is that I should learn, and I don't know what the best things, best way to learn, like the best tools or the best uh, sites are for learning that. So, So send me a program. Send me, Mm -hmm. send me on my way, and I'll just work my way to do it. Oh, and it's amazing. Uh, It's great to see.
0: Those are the gratifying moments. Yeah, absolutely. So, talk about transdisciplinary. Um, So, Kerry finished her presentation that I saw. Uh, bringing in some aesthetics, uh, which was poetry. And I just thought this um, brought me closer to understanding the power and the beauty um, of math. So I'll end with Kerry sharing that with us.
1: Yeah, so this is a poem by John Gillespie McGee, uh, who uh, is called High Flight, and I'm just the first and last part of it is really beautiful, I think. So it says, Oh, I have slipped the surly bonds of earth and danced the skies on laughter silver wings sunward I've climbed and joined the tumbling mirth of sun-split clouds and done a hundred things you have not dreamed of and while with silent lifting mind I've trod the high untrespassed sanctity of space put out my hand and touched the face of God and on that note Distinguished
0: Professor Kerry Mengerson, thank you for joining us for our 21st episode of QUT Exec Insights. Thanks for joining us for this episode of QUT Exec Insights, brought to you by QUTX, Executive Education for the Real World. You can comment on the podcast or make suggestions for future guests at execinsights at QUT.edu.au. We would love to hear from you. If you would like more information about professional development for yourself or your team, please search QUTX, that's Q-U-T-E-X, and you will find our full range of programs. I'm your host, Kate Joyner, with sound recording and editing by Lance Scafe Elliott. See you next time.